Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Soundworks Collection interview series. This is Michael Coleman, and this week I spoke with my good friend Jay Messina, who is a world-class engineer and producer based in New York City, and has worked on such classic albums by Aerosmith, Kiss, Miles Davis, Supertramp, Patti Smith, Slash, Yoko Ono, and Cheap Trick, to name a few. I met up with Jay in his Upper West Side home to talk about his early beginnings working at A&R Studios and the Record Plant, where he served as chief engineer for 15 years. Jay was consistently busy recording albums and stayed with the record plant until he left in 1987. He's since embarked on a very successful freelance career and in 2005 opened his own studio, West End Sound, where he mixes and masters national and international projects today. I hope you enjoy. Jay, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down and... Yeah, good we're, to we're, see we're, you again. Yeah, we're, we're here in New York and I'm here with Jay Messina, who I've known for... Oh, what year was it? We first two weeks met? at least. Two, two weeks. weeks. <laughs> we've we've known each other. Two thousand and three is when. Was we met. it two thousand three? Yeah. All right. So this is our twelve year anniversary yeah. uh, tour. How have you been? What 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 have you been up to recently? Great, great. Well, I'm I'm in the middle of doing a record with uh, Eddie Palmieri, mm-hmm. who's a a legend in the Latin Latin field. Uh, we finished one record. And then we went right into an, another one, and this is a big band yeah. format. You know, it's all Latin, but this is four trumpets, four bones, yeah. five saxes, bunch of rhythm, and we're going to do some vocals. And actually, we're waiting for Santana to lay a solo on one of the tracks. Yeah. Um, so that's always fun. The sessions are really fiery and. Uh, you know everything is all live and yeah. it's uh it's fun eddie's a is a great guy he's probably 77 78 years old and he's still still doing it still doing it with a lot of fire he's got so much energy and i just saw him not too long ago at bb king's with his uh, salsa band mm-hmm. and it was awesome nice people went crazy so just before we start diving into some of the work you've been doing give us give me a little background just about where did you come from, Jay Messina? Besides, you're here in New York now, but how did you get to New York? What, what was your What was your story? What was the evolution for you? Well, I grew up in New York. I grew up in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Actually, my side of the street was Queens. Yeah, across the street was Brooklyn, but everything for me pretty much happened in Brooklyn. I went to school there and hung out there, and um, uh, started playing vibes. Mm-hmm. Early on, my, my father, who used to play bass, bought me a little set of orchestra bells when I was eight or nine. Yeah. And so I've always been into music. I, all through high school, I played in a band, so I always had a little extra cash in my pocket. That was yeah. always fun. It's good to have in high school. <laughs> uh, so we used to play like weddings and dances and that kind of stuff. Were your parents musical? Did you grow up in a house of music? Yeah. Well, uh, my father used to play bass. Okay. My mother didn't. She wasn't in the music mm-hmm. business other than being my father's uh, fan club yeah. uh, president. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, then after, my father always said, get into electronics. Oh. Just keep music on the side. And he was actually, he was right on because... What I'm doing now is, it's not exactly keeping music on the side, but what he meant is, as far as as a musician, yeah. playing music, it's not an easy 
easy road and never was a never was you know but yeah. even harder yeah. more so now but uh getting uh, after i got out of high school i went to a place called rca institutes which was nothing to do with engineering the way the schools are now mm-hmm. um but it was an electronics background. So I kind of know what goes on underneath the console, you might say. Um, what do you remember from the technology? What, what was the thing then? What was? Tubes. Yeah. All, all of the circuitry <laughs> were tubes. Yeah. Uh, and then it was, then we went into, we touched on transistors, yeah. you know, uh, as they were called yeah. back then. And, uh, and computers, you know, really, but that was like yeah. rudimentary. Just exactly, just yeah. uh, just touched on it, and you know, learned the concept of it because there wasn't enough of it around mm-hmm. to delve and and mm-hmm. jump in there. So was that con- was that was that a like a technician type of role of to be like a servicing type of thing? Yeah, I mean, one thing, you know, a lot of people would go into radio and TV repair. Mm-hmm. You know, if you wanted, yeah. when you got out of there. Yeah. Uh, but I went a little further. I I uh, got a um, FCC first class license before I graduated, uh-huh. which, if I wanted to, I was enabled me to work on on transmitters. Okay. Um, I I didn't have a particular desire to go and do that. Yeah. But. I, I figured if I was going to do it, if I was going to uh, to pass that test, it's, it was a pretty uh, involved test, yeah. and that would be the time to take it mm. while you're in in school. Otherwise, you forget too many details that yeah, they yeah. ask you on these tests. Well, well, at that point, did you feel like that was enough of a like there was enough work that you could continue doing that, or where did you start? Still, didn't really know what I was where I was going. Yeah. Uh, actually, when I first went to RCA Institute, I took, there was kind of like a college level, college credited okay. uh, course, which I took. And coming right out of high school, I wasn't ready for that and okay. dropped out after a few semesters. Got a job fixing photocopy machines. <laughs> Soon found out they were hiring people uh, uh, making more money than I was oh. making. So I said, I. I don't like this, and I went back to school yeah. and to RCA Institutes mm-hmm. and, and took a lesser, more uh, direct, mm-hmm. um, what would you say, more hands-on okay. kind of course rather yeah. than college accredited. And um, what year was that around? Probably around sixty-four. Okay, sixty-five. Maybe. Was this something that like a lot of people were doing, or was it was it a specialty type of program of small classes? I mean, how big? Uh, um, was the school? I, the school is uh, the uh, the building is still there. It's on West Thirteenth mm-hmm. Street. Uh, it wasn't that big. Uh, what a funny thing that I remember about it is: uh, first of all, I uh, they had labs there, you know, mm-hmm. like like a lot of technical schools, and so I got a job at, at on one of the, uh, working in the technical staff while I was going to school or the other four or five hours in the day I would work there mm. and when I first started there what they do to the new 
guys that that work there. Mm-hmm. They uh, in each lab there's like a little work area that's enclosed in a little chicken wire kind of (laughs) situation you know so the the initiation for the new guys (laughs) is they get you to go in there and then they lock you in Uh with a padlock on the outside Uh and then they go wait in the office and they see how long it takes you (laughs) to to get out to get out (laughs) so the he locked me in and they went in the office and the first guy that I saw, I had the key. Yeah. So the first student I saw that came in, I says, hey, do you mind open that yeah. lock? You know, all these other, these real techie kind of guys would disassemble the whole right. cage yeah, to yeah. get out. You know, but I, I thought I would take the easy way out. So the, I was out in like two minutes. Uh-huh. And they're wondering how I got out so fast. So that was my recollection of my work experience at uh, RCA. So at the time... You were making this shift, but ultimately you were heading towards a different type of work. It wasn't service. It was this engine, music engineering. Uh, uh, well, still not yet. Not but, yet. I, okay. you know, I knew I wanted to get this electronics background okay. from my father. You yeah. Know? And so I got out of there and I got a job at a, at a company that used to fix, uh, you know, Heathkit. I don't know if Heathkit is yeah. even still around right, anymore. Yeah. Okay. This was the East Coast uh, service center. Mm-hmm. So people would build these Heathkit radios and whatever, you know, whatever they were selling. And they would build them in and they didn't work. And they would send them to this place. Mm. And the other three guys that were there were like whizzes. Mm. You know, they, they probably grew up eating radios when they were kids, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so they were like, and the, the name of the game was to fix them really fast. Uh. And I wasn't that good at it. Yeah. So after about a month, I left. And then I had a girlfriend that uh, her parents were in the music business. Mm. So I started meeting some music people. And one night I was hanging out with this guy, David Lucas, mm. who you saw on, on yeah. the, uh, who produced Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. And he was an engineer and his cousin owned... A studio Mm -hmm. and David wanted to get into more writing rather than just engineering yeah so one Sunday night oh I had a job by the way okay that I was gonna start the next day Mm. and it was gonna be there again more just a dry electronics sure kind of job servicing yeah yeah and uh, so he says do you want to be an engineer I said I got a job I'm I'm starting (laughs) tomorrow he says quit Wow. I I says, I can only give you 25 bucks a week for food. Yeah. He says, but you'll like it. It'll be fun. (laughs) A lot of fun. Yeah. So I said, okay. I didn't go to to the job. Mm -hmm. And and I walked into the studio and had no idea what anything was. I mean, I had a rough idea of electronics, but I had never seen... Oh, by the way, this Don Elliott, his cousin... Mm -hmm had Les Paul's one-inch eight-track machine in 64, 65. Mm-hmm. Was, there was only five of them wow. in the world. That was my first yeah. studio gig. So from that point, what, what was it about that type of work that interested you? 
well, all the glamour, you know. Uh, <laughs> before I knew it, uh, Mel Torme is walking in the door, the, the Platters, you know, which was an iconic yeah. group from the 50s, you know. Uh, and some of these Motown people. A lot of it was uh, because he had this 8-track machine and there wasn't many of them around. So mm -hmm. uh, I met Quincy Jones back then. So, you know, the idea of it being music and coming from a music background, and I said, wow, my father was right about the electronics, yeah. but it's, this is the best of both worlds. It's music, and I, I can make a living at this. So where were you thinking you wanted to apply yourself in terms of work-wise? How, how did you navigate trying to get the gigs and build the relationships that ultimately, you know, created a lot of those early, you know, monumental projects for you? Um, well, at this place, what was cool about it was it was a small operation, mm -hmm. and I was the only guy. You know, if there was a major uh, 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 maintenance problem, we yeah. would call somebody in. Mm -hmm. But I would set up, I would do the daily maintenance. Mm -hmm. I was my own assistant. Uh, so that part of it was was great, and that's how... Uh, you know, I I kind of got a, I kind of learned just by by doing it. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't totally self-taught. David Lucas kind of um, broke me in on it, but he wasn't formally trained either. <laughs> I don't know if anyone. So, well, formally trained, it's like there was no formal training. That's true. That's true. You know, but, but I think you you did have a really interesting you know group of mentors per se or teachers, one being even Roy Sakala, right? Roy, yeah, when I left uh, uh, Don Elliott's place, I went to A&R Studios, mm -hmm. and uh, my first job there was was cutting records, Yeah, and Roy Sakala was the maintenance man at that yeah. time, so that's how I met him. But I would go in on the weekends, because uh, Phil Ramone, one of the owners, would let the new um, engineers come in and go in on the weekends, bring your friends in, you yeah, bring uh, bands in, and practice. And uh, so I got a lot of good tips from Roy yeah. back then. What do, you, what do you remember about just the studio environment, the creative space, only as an engineer and as an artist? How would you describe just the, the type of energy and the type of projects and just the, like this meeting place where people would go to you know, work together on these projects? It, it was so electric, and mm -hmm. it was like you know, a, a grown-up candy store, kind of, you know, the kind of minus, excitement. Minus the grown-up candy, that was <laughs> right. part of it. Uh, but, I mean, the kind of excitement that you would get from being in a candy store or going, yeah. going to the local park and climbing on the monkey bars yeah. or, you know, and going on the swings and stuff, <laughs> that kind of energy, uh, I guess, I never thought of it this way before, but... Yeah. Uh, you know, if you could translate that kind of excitement into being in a studio now in a, in, in a big person's yeah, world. Yeah, right. You know, uh, it was that kind of ec excitement and being around the, the people that would come in. I, I was fortunate enough to have, like, all the best studio musicians that would play on everybody's records yeah. as friends. Yeah. Well, 
So here's a question for you: Is how would you describe Jay then versus Jay now in terms of in terms of your personality and your character, your energy of what you brought to the sessions? Because I think a lot of what people don't understand is it's it's the unspoken kind of ability of an of an engineer what they what what they can do without saying much. Sometimes I feel like how would you describe your approach? Right. Well, I've I've always been quiet. On the quiet side, I, yeah. and I guess I would st- still say I'm, you know, I'm still in that category. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by working with great musicians, uh, that's how I learned a lot, and and you learn by listening. Mm-hmm. And so the the quiet aspect of my personality really. Uh, lent itself to me learning a lot uh, and, but I was fortunate to be working with seasoned musicians that had uh, you know some worthwhile experience so that when they came in to listen afterward ex- for me it was I was just experimenting and yeah. having fun um, when they came in and listened uh, they had some good input for me Yeah. so by me not being that vocal, that learning process was, it just worked for me. How did you manage just understanding all the, all the various microphones and equipment and all the tools that you had at your disposal? How would you describe just your evolution of really understanding what worked and like your kind of staples of what you'd want to be surrounding yourself with when you were doing sessions? I, I guess the, the thing that drove me back then and still to this day is that it's really about the music Mm -hmm. and you have to keep your ego in check yeah so you know that being said um it's kind of the musicians or the artist that Mm -hmm. dictates where you go if somebody's out there and they're ready to sing you press Record, yeah. whatever mic is there, then that's the one. That's the one you use, yeah. So, you know, that's... Uh, uh, to have the luxury uh, and the option to pick and choose particular uh, microphones or a particular console, that's like the icing mm-hmm. on the cake. Cap- capturing that moment of creativity is really the, the crux or yeah. the meat of what I try to do. Yeah. What, what can you say just about the New York studio scene throughout, you know, 70s, 80s, even 90s? How would you describe just the amount of studios that you had at your disposal and, and the talent and um, just the just this community here of, of New York as a recording hub? Well, I feel real fortunate that I was around when I was because, yeah. like, in the 70s, I would be literally doing, like, three different albums at once, every mm-hmm. day. There are three different sessions. You know, the uh, musicians would come in for like a three-hour session, maybe from 10 to 1, and yeah. then from... there was That was one record, and then from 2 to 5 was another record, different yeah. producer, and and so on. And that slowly kind of went away, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, I was glad to be a, a part of that. What studios did you like working out of, if you had a choice? Uh... Well, A and R was was great, which is where I worked. And then when I found out about Record Plant, mm-hmm. 
that's that was like the the happening place in the seventies and eighties. So I went there and you worked on some a few few a few albums there. <laughs> a lot of records there, yeah. <laughs> Which uh, ones stand out to you? Uh, Aerosmith, yeah. uh, Kiss, Cheap Trick, Patti Smith. You know, we we were doing, you know, one after the other. You yeah. know, they would like actually. I remember working with Jack Douglas, mm -hmm. finishing one record in the afternoon and same day starting another whole album. What do you think that did to you, knowing that your the, the amount of time that you had was more limited? It was a quicker probably production schedule potentially. Do you feel like your the decisions you made were just based off of instinct? What, what where were they coming from? Well, before I was doing records, I did a lot of commercials, okay, a lot of jingles, and. I was so happy that, l looking back on it, instead of complaining about it, <laughs> I was I was into it. I knew I had my, you know, limited amount of time to get my drum sounds, and so I used every second of that rather than complain about it, yeah. which is, you know, just a waste of time, really. Yeah. Uh, so I learned a, a lot of, of those skills that I used later on really came in handy. And editing, uh, there was a lot of editing in yeah. doing radio spots, uh, getting the announcer to fit into 30 seconds or 60 seconds. So when I got to doing records, all of those skills really came in, yeah. came in handy. How do you describe just the being the engineer and carrying the vision of the band and the producer and managing, kind of holding the line, and then also trying to infuse, like, your two cents about well maybe i think we should do this versus that because it's gonna in the end maybe create a better end sound uh i've always been careful about infusing my two cents okay. so to speak depending upon what i was doing yeah um what always used to bother me if as an engineer if let's say there's some distortion going on I'd like, you know, the 20 seconds that it may take to figure out yeah. what, how I'm going to fix that problem rather than hearing my assistant in my ear giving me his opinion. <laughs> yeah. That's just going to interrupt my train yeah. of thought. <clears throat> and likewise, if I'm an engineer and the producer is working with a singer and the singer is um, has uh, is having some pitch problems. Yeah. Maybe the one thing that I don't know that the producer knows is that if he mentions something about pitch, that might destroy that singer, that that yeah, artist. Moment, yeah. And you know that's not the time, and so it's not my place to. If the producer asks me, "What do you think about his or her pitch?" That's a different story, mm. but. It's my job as the engineer is to enable the producer and the artist and bring out their best yeah. more directly the producer because I'm you know there's a right. hierarchy in the in the studio that I believe should be followed otherwise yeah. you know there's a bunch of cooks in there <laughs> and you come out with something that doesn't taste so good. No. I think that's something that I I think I lost or not that I lost but I forgot um, having the opportunity to work with you and Jack 
and be a fly on the wall for those Aerosmith sessions. I forgot being, well, learning patience and learning to kind of remember that what your what your responsibility is, why you're here, what your role is. And I, I think maybe today, because of technology, everyone wears many hats, and it's not so much of that mentality anymore. That's that's right, especially with Pro Tools. Yeah. Just not too long ago, maybe a week or so ago, I was in the studio and one of the musicians comes into the control room and says, oh yeah, I'm just learning Pro Tools. I know just enough to get into trouble, yeah. you know, and to bother you guys. And then in the very next sentence, he's got like a... a, a, a um, a suggestion for us, <laughs> a, suggestion, a, a, yeah. a pro tool suggestion. Yeah. And that's what, you know, that's the most, you know, or one of the frustrations yeah. uh, in being an engineer and to have a musician, uh, worry about what I should be worrying yeah. about. And uh, cause that's my frustration. You know, I'm there to whatever they want to do, even though it, uh, you know, it's going to make them comfortable to make them yeah. play the best. Right. That's my, that's my job. And even if it means I might get uh, a little less, you know, quotes, uh, the best sound. Yeah. If what they play isn't great, yeah. who cares about the best sound? Yeah, right, you know, right, you right, want right. to get the best performance. Yeah. So when these guys come in and they're worrying about these little details, it, it, it can't, they can't help but it, uh, uh, let it affect their performance because yeah. they're thinking about something other than not thinking at all, and, you know, which yeah. is where you should be at if you're playing music. You should be in the moment and not thinking, just playing. I think it's something that people have gone away from. That a lot of the artists I've met today have that mentality of, I can record my own stuff. I can probably maybe mix it. I can probably maybe do something. I, I know, like you said, I know enough to get into trouble. But and I don't think it's a, like a nostalgia thing. It's like, oh, that's a thing of the past. Like there's a reason why that worked so well and why I think when people have people, they surround themselves with this talent that they're able to then focus on the thing that they're there to do, which is hopefully to write music and not be an engineer. That's right. Uh, you know, uh, I, I believe, you know, that artists should know, you know, a certain amount about the yeah. technical recording process, uh, just so that they're not asking, you know, uh, impossible, right. uh, making impossible requests. But there's a, a point, and vice versa, you know, uh, engineers should know a certain amount about music. Uh, an example is... If you have a good arrangement, whether it's an orchestra or a rock and roll band, yeah. uh, if if the arrangement is good, it's easy to mix. Okay. So it's good to know about the mixing process and the arranging process on both ends for those reasons. But uh, so I encourage the artist to know just enough about yeah. uh, the recording process, but not so much that they get distracted by it. Yeah. Then just you go in. Just enough so they can they know how to maybe communicate to you in a way that will help you understand what they need. Right. And, and I see, uh, like if I see an assistant getting distracted by uh, 
somebody's performance. If they yeah. make a comment to me, they're not doing their job. They're not yeah. being that fly on the wall and covering me and, you know, just have a general mm -hmm. uh, hands-on and looking out for uh, making sure everything runs yeah. smoothly and not worrying about the performance. Yeah. They'll have their day, you know, when they become a producer. <laughs> uh, then they can do that. Yeah. And they'll wish the guy that's in their place now, be, you know, stays quiet. I think that's the thing about sound engineering. Like, now there are technical programs and there's places that you can go to learn a specific type of, whether it's engineering or mastering or, you know, just the whole gamut of stuff that you can do nowadays. Do you find that, um, the I guess, the aspect of the apprenticing of... of kind of working with the new students today, the new engineers, what, what do you find is, is similar and what's different about people today that are coming through the system? Uh, well, it's like you said, uh, you know, people learn a little bit about something okay. and that, that they feel they can, yeah, I can do this and I can do that. And the end result is, yes, you can, but it's not going to come out as well as, yeah. Uh, you know, the th other thing about when one person does everything, you just get one point of view. Okay. When you have a, a group of musicians playing all at once, you get a, it creates a new thing that comes from, that's where the magic mm -hmm. comes from. You get a, a special kind of thing that comes from them feeding it off of each other. And so that communication, when that happens, that musical communication yeah. happens, that's when you get this new thing that wouldn't come from one person. What have you found just yourself about educating, maybe not educating, but your exposure to listening, to being an engineer, that you're listening with your ears is one aspect, but then kind of like this approach of listening, like the full body approach of, like when, when you are in a session, there's a certain type of, you know, there's, you know how a room is going to sound or speakers, you know how the gear might respond, but then how do you think you're, years have evolved to being uh, the engineer that you are today and, and how you utilize your years? I don't know how much, you know, overall my outlook on listening has changed. Okay. What I usually do, if I were to go to a... The only preparation that I'd do, pretty much, mm -hmm. if I'm going to work at a studio I haven't worked at before, I'll bring a, some reference audio that I know okay. and I know it sounds good and I yeah. kind of know how it sounds and I'll listen to that on their monitors for a, a good 10 or 15 minutes and then my feeling is that by that time now your brain my brain yeah says okay this is the way things are supposed to sound okay but generally when I listen I don't I, I'm not a numbers kind of yeah. engineer I listen for does it feel good? Uh, you know, I've been in a, I, I was one particular session. I remember um, there was probably a few different cooks uh, uh, at yeah. this particular session. And it was like this whole big thing about the hi-hat. Should it be a little left of center, right mm. of center? Should it be a little brighter? And this big focus on the hi-hat. And then all of a sudden from the back of the room, it was a musician friend of the guys who we were working with yeah. came in and he said, wow, that sounds amazing. 
And he wasn't. He was just came in, and he listened. He listened to the whole tape. Track, yeah. And but he listened the way you know from being uh, uh, stepping back from it yeah. and not focus in on one little yeah. thing. And that's part of the art of being a good engineer is to focus in on the individual things. You want the sounds to be good, right? But Still, it's about the music. If if your involvement is so focused on all those little technical things, you're going to lose the, or you could lose mm. the essence of what you're really there for, is, and that's to capture that magical moment of of the music. Yeah, I think it took me maybe easily five plus years to even think that I understood what a mix. Sh- well. It's it's my own my own personal taste. Like what a mix should sound like. Understanding how to even arrive at a, what the end result of a mix might be, and I think that's only because you have to be exposed to so much different scenarios and experiences and recordings or wh- whatever you're working on until you actually have an understanding of oh these are all the ingredients in front of me. Now I need to make my decisions, and and, and I, I think nowadays I think like you're saying like people. Not that I don't want to talk about this too much, but I think it's it's a real challenge that because the tools are so accessible, that they're overstepping and not spending the time on really ex- living in that world of, under I guess understanding how 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 to build, I guess the, the track or whatever the project is. It's just a, it's a very different approach, and I think that was lost at some point. Yeah. Well, there's no real right and wrong yeah. about a mix. Uh, and to get back to what you asked before, mm. um, if there's a right, it's it's what the artist right. or whoever the client yeah. is, what what they want to hear. That's the right right mix. Yeah. So uh, I'll usually say, you know, give me a give me a shot at it, and then give a listen, and then hopefully, you know, the ideal situation is they like. What I like, yeah. you know. So then, then it's just it's a good fun. Place, yeah. I mean, it's always fun, but it's yeah. then it's easy. I should say. Just going back to when you were first introduced to, you know, being an audio engineer and and just the, the excitement of being around these musicians and the types of characters. I mean, you know, they are musicians. They know how to play their instruments really well, but they're characters that also really, you know, strong personalities. What 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 do you remember just about? some of those first encounters when you meet some of these people and, you know, built relationships and worked on multiple albums from, you know, Kiss or Patti Smith or Aerosmith? Uh, I guess the main thing that I came away with that, for the most part, after those first few minutes of being, you know, starstruck, everybody is the same. Yeah. If somebody is not so nice... Uh, you know, they could be a star, yeah. and there could be somebody that isn't a star that's not so nice also, <laughs> yeah. you know. But, uh, you know, for the most part, everybody's been the same. I haven't met too many people that, you know, that weren't so nice. <laughs> There's a, a couple yeah. that we won't <laughs> yeah, mention. All right, all right. <laughs> what can you say just about, you know, when someone finds a creative groove, whether it's in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning, 
like when, when that happens, when you, when you, when that energy and that magic is there, how do you describe just helping support the artist and what you do? Uh, well, I guess I would say that there's nothing that you're really thinking about. Mm -hmm. Those moments come when everybody is just in the moment. Yeah. And when that, that energy is happening, when you are in the moment, you're not really thinking yeah. you're just doing you yeah. know what happens and then it's something that you just look back on and you say wow yeah. it, it seems you like know? you you've come across a lot of those opportunities or those moments with a lot of these amazing tracks and you know i've, I've heard the stories over the years but to you why do you think those what what is the combination of of all the, the parts coming together that makes it possible is it, is it just that the musicians are bringing an incredible song i guess just you know having the the right combination of mm -hmm. people of musicians and technical people having that you know there's all these right things at the right mm -hmm. time uh, that creates some magical mm -hmm. moments <laughs> yeah it's it's hard to put, it's hard to really make sense of cuz it's it it happened and it was captured and somehow you know everyone was a part of it and it's a, it's pretty incredible to music is one of those art forms that well, like you know, outlives all of us you know it continues on and it gets continued to be enjoyed by you know future generations and yeah know. it's like you know like where does a song come from or you know how does a song come about sometimes somebody might just wake up and yeah. there's a song in their head and they'll pick up their iPhone and sing into it and make a note of it and you know so there's it just happens you what's, know what's your relationship with a lot of your previous work that you've done over the years is it stuff that you go back to you reference is there any real um i don't know, I don't know if, if, if it's nostalgia like how do you look back on your old work are you just as excited about the work moving forward uh, i was just actually it's funny you mentioned that because for some reason i was on iTunes yeah. the other day and I was just looking through some of the mm -hmm. old stuff and uh, some of it I said uh, oh that wow that still sounds good or yeah. what was I thinking that day you <laughs> yeah. know what um, but I you know I don't go back for a particular reference right just out of more out of curiosity okay one one uh, album that I worked on I saw heard on itunes it's uh it was taken from a disc oh wow how was the translation not so good i heard a lot of uh, uh i mean i mean the it was a lot of surface noise i mean it was very obvious it was from a disc okay nice which i was kind of surprised about <laughs> um gosh i don't know is there anything else that you, you want to talk about that comes to mind a lot of stuff just uh, you know uh, if i was going to say anything it would be yeah. about this this show that we're oh, trying yeah, to... Oh, yeah, so, yeah, let me set that up. So, um, so recently, I guess, you've reconnected with some of, like you're saying, uh, what's, what's your, your buddy's name? Uh, David Lucas. David Lucas, okay, so, yeah, so, um, yeah, so I guess recently, you, you reconnected with David Lucas, and you guys started working on this project. Give me a little background on what that was. Uh, well, uh, um, my partner, uh, Roy McDonald, mm -hmm. and myself, wanted to call 
call up on on some of these experiences yeah. that I and he have had in the past with uh, you know just call on some of these experiences. So we've developed this show that we're we're uh, developing and yeah. developing and uh, going to get out there and we're starting to see some interest. Uh, and it, it's called uh, Inside Track, mm-hmm. and it's about some of these stories of of how the s- stories behind some of these big hit records that you know that have yeah. become classics, and uh, it's you know it's pretty compelling. I haven't <laughs> run into anybody that didn't get a, a little chuckle over oh, the, yeah. our little teaser reel that we have. Yeah. So you know we're. We're looking to to take that to the next step, and yeah. hopefully it'll be a uh, like maybe a half hour something for TV, TV show. Web. Awesome! It's funny because everyone has every time you get you know f- creatives together, filmmakers, engineers, no matter what they are, everyone has those stories, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's like you'd have to be there to get it, you know to really get it. But you know when you tell people, it's like this retelling of this like these these moments. I mean. For you, when you think of of all the handfuls of experiences that you've had, what 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 is it about the the work that you do that you enjoy the most that that really is satisfying? Uh, I guess it's the interaction with the with the people. Okay, you know it comes down to that and the music. I mean, there's nothing like when I come home from the studio. Uh, you know the the high that I'm on yeah. from uh, just the interaction with the people and hearing that great music yeah. and just being around, you know, that, that level of, of talent is, I can't put my finger on it, but there's a, a high that, that yeah. comes out of it. That's, you know, no drug has ever come close, close to, yeah. you know, so um, being productive and yeah. that's a hard, hard question to <laughs> answer. But I, I guess it, it, it comes from uh, being around such, uh, like in particular, this Eddie Palmieri uh, record with the big band is, you know, like 20 over 20 musicians playing and they're all amazing they're incredible and to hear that and be a part of it is just so rewarding it's just incredible that's awesome so for people who want to find out more about you and your work where can they go to check you out oh yeah jmessina.com my website is uh, you'll see some fun pictures there with good hair pictures you don't look too different (laughs) you look the same not that I knew you then but Jay, thank you so much for taking the time to Thanks, Mike. This, this has been fun. It's good to see you again. I haven't seen you for a while. <laughs> <laughs>